0: EVIL-11, we have a visual on your position. We have enemy movement 300 meters to your south. Enemy troops in the open. Small arms and RPGs, you are clear to engage. Roger, EVIL-CP. We are TIC. I say again, we are troops in contact, requesting air support. Stand by for call for fire. Solid copy. Troops in contact. Be advised, air is red at this time. Repeat, air is a no-go. You're on your own. Dig in and give them hail. Give them hail. Give them hail. Welcome to the Dogs of War. Hosted by Stephen Houston.
1: Alrighty, here we go. Another new episode brought to you by Joint Forces Canine out of Siloam Springs, Arkansas. Their commercial will play after the intro, so you guys can hear everything about it from there. But they're the anchor sponsor: Joint Forces Canine, Rob Shoemaker's Dream Child, beautiful facility, world-class seminars, and uh, top to bottom badass. So, podcast is also brought to you by Alpine Arms. Alpine Arms is a veteran-owned and operated gun store and training source located in Eagle, Colorado. They specialize in training opportunities from pistol, rifle, night vision, tactical medicine, long range, and they offer the Colorado experience while doing so. All of our instructors come from the military special operations community and law enforcement special units. They can be found at alpinearms.com or at 50 Chambers Ave. in Eagle, Colorado. Podcast is also brought to you by Hoffman Tactical. Hoffman Tactical is a small company based out of Yuma, Arizona, and they make and sell a large variety of dog training equipment, everything from collars to slap mills to custom bite suits. They sent me a uh, custom agitation muzzle painted, it's a Gadsden flag, and uh, I love it. They can be found online at Hoffman Tactical Canine Training Equipment on Facebook, Instagram, and on their website. Also want to give a quick shout out to Sean Edwards and the Deadpool Decoy School. Go check them out. If you want to learn how to decoy, Sean Edwards has an awesome program and he travels all over the country. So, all righty. My guest today uh, is his second time coming on the podcast. He's a friend of mine. He's a uh, canine handler out of Texas. His name is Stephen Anamarchi. He uh, witnessed a search and rescue team during 9-11 and that made a super profound impact on him. He knew he wanted to get into the canine world. So, 15 years later, he was involved with the... uh, Houston, Dallas, Texas Police Department, the deadliest attack on law enforcement since 9 he, 11. He had to clear downtown for IEDs and uh, he realized then that's why he started working canines. It came f- full circle. He's been mentored by Tony Guzman and Bob Suarez. And, uh, you know, he's a canine trainer, handler, and uh, general awesome dude. So this episode got a little heavy. Stephen lost a uh, fellow co worker. One of his buddies close friends recently and we go into depth about that so we're doing this episode and uh the uh honor of phil so hang on if you have any questions or anything shoot us a text and uh yeah this is a conversation that needs to be had so the veteran community has been dealing with this for far too long and so has law enforcement and and, and it's just time to talk about it and have these uncomfortable conversations so Without further ado, please give it up for the great and powerful Stephen Antimarchi.
0: From basic to advanced training, Joint Forces K-9 offers Arkansas's best dog training services. Whether you want to get your pet up to speed on basic obedience or are looking for more advanced training, such as specific odor detection, personal protection, competition and trial prep, service dog training, and more, the professionals at Joint Forces K-9 will help your dog become the best that it can be. Joint Forces K-9 is veteran-owned and offers all levels of training for pets and working dogs on their 20-acre dog training facility which includes kennels, an indoor training arena, a pro shop, technical ponds, a trial field, and an agility course. Contact us today for more information and a free evaluation. You can also learn about our boarding, grooming, and working dog sales. Joint Forces Canine, www.jointforcescanine.com or call 479-802-0775. Jointforcescanine.com, 479-802-0775.
1: How's everything going, dude?
0: Bro, we have been busy, to say the least. Lots of stuff happening, but,
2: uh, you know, mostly really good stuff, man. I can't complain. i got staying busy, for sure.
1: What did you have going on last week?
2: So, we, uh, unfortunately, and I, I hate to be, like, starting this with uh, some bad news, right? But I think you and I talked about it. Uh, we had a, a canine handler <clears throat> that I was close with. Uh, part of our training group, a dude that uh, is highly respected, um, he uh, he committed suicide, and that's uh, is the first time it's hit me this close. You know, um, to be honest with you, still still kind of grieving through the process. Um, when you and I talked about coming on here again, that was the last thing I thought you and I would have to be talking about, <laughs> right? But the most important thing we can do in these situations is um, you know be transparent about it. Uh, for the last. Four or five days, I've been looking at every text message that he's ever sent me, videos that he sent me, just to see, you know, if I did my part as a friend, did I did I miss something? I'm human; I make mistakes. Um, so, kind of overanalyzing probably um, everything that he sent me, and um, and it's just a really sad situation, man. Because to say that he was respected and loved would be an understatement. Super nice guy. Um, he left behind three young girls, three beautiful girls, and a wife. Um him and I just again we we clicked on so many levels. Um the dog thing is is one of them, but we struggled at almost at the same time with some of the administrative stuff that you know police officers have to deal with. And uh, so we connected on that level some of the issues and problems that uh, one may, you know, encounter as a police officer, which is part of the job. Um, so it's nice to be able to talk to somebody who, you know, shares and understands some of the struggles. So, um, I mean, uh, we haven't even gotten information as, as far as his funeral and how we can pay respects, but um, Steve, I know that you've also been through stuff like that in the military. And I know this is your podcast and you're the interviewer, but I, I'm, we haven't had a chance to get into that much. And, um, and I, I know that this is not the typical conversation that you have on your podcast, but I think it's an important one to have. Um, admittingly, I'm still grieving and still trying to process everything and- and understand how something like this can happen. Um, But I've had a lot of amazing people reach out to me. And and one of the organizations that we have to talk a little bit about, uh, specifically for law enforcement, is an organization called Code Nine Project. And um, what they do is they offer that assistance for agencies who are dealing with suicides within their ranks, within their guys. So they can talk about these things that are kind of taboo in our industry. And I feel like this is one of the things that we share in our industries, both in law enforcement and military. There's a huge stigma behind this kind of stuff. And it's, um, you know, you hear about it. And I would always agree with the people who say, hey, we got to get rid of the stigma. I didn't do anything about it. I didn't I didn't voice my opinion on it, Um, maybe because I felt like I hadn't gone through something like that. I could understand the pain someone may may go through by dealing with a friend that commits suicide. but now going through it, I see it from a whole different perspective. Um, and it's not about me, of course. Um, but I, I do want to bring light to the Code 9 project. And we'll probably get into it a little bit more on what they offer. But it is a free service to all law enforcement in all 50 states. And I've actually contacted them in the past for other officers who have dealt with losses from other states. And I can't tell you how how positive those um, those interactions were speaking to those officers after after they did what they did, um, never thinking that I would have to call them myself, of course. Um, so I, I made that phone call today, and it is a, without a doubt a phone call for help um, to kind of deal with some of this stuff. Um, as a canine community locally, we're hurting. Uh, we're in mourning. It's It sucks that one of our own did this. Um, we all looked at ourselves, and we all talked about this, and you know, one of the good things that come out of this is the vulnerability of each guy that I talk to is like, Hey man, I don't tell you enough. I appreciate you and love you for everything you do and what you mean in my life. Um, We don't always, um, we're not always transparent about the the demons that are, that we face internally. And we kind of minimize a lot of that stuff. And self-consciously, I think that sometimes looking at my own life, I may be struggling with something that I, I may not even recognize because I've just been pushing it down for so long un- until whatever trigger it is, right? It comes up and then you're kind of forced to do with it. And it do- doesn't always come out in a positive way, but, but back to, uh, back to kind of putting it on you for a second here, man. I, I don't know how comfortable you feel about sharing any of your stories, but um, as we, as we talk about this, I think it's important that um, there's going to be listeners out there, right? That totally understand where we're coming from both on the military side and the law enforcement side and realistically we're speaking to everybody but specifically those guys i mean what story can you share to help <laughs> you guys
1: out? well i've probably lost almost a dozen people that i would call brothers um, people that would run into gunfire to 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 drag my lifeless body out put their life on the line And, um, the other day I just randomly got this tick inside. I said, Hey, I need to reach out to Steven and and ask him to come on. And, and the world works in mysterious ways. And and now you're here. Now you're, you're bringing awareness to it, you know, and, and talking about it, which is very important. But, um, one of the ones, so I'll, I'll share two stories of suicide. Um, I, one of my boot level Marines. So when I was a new guy in the fleet, this, this dude named uh, was in our company. So he was in another platoon. I was in first platoon. I believe he was in third platoon. And we always yeah. called him Gunny. Like Gunny's is a short term for gunnery sergeant in, in E7. So probably like a captain in the police force, somebody who's been in seven to 10 years. And he was just always super squared away, super mellow, super calm. And he was, I think he was the first class to go over to MARSOC, which is the Marine Special Operations Community, same same tier level as SEALs. Yeah. It's like an 18-month program. You got to learn another language, dive, air, all, all of that. And uh, I found out a couple years ago that he wrote a letter he had two special needs daughters that could possibly be twins. I, I could be wrong on that, but they were definitely very young infant, maybe toddler age. Wow. And, um, he wrote a letter, uh, and went out in the woods with a Bible and a lantern and, you know, smoked himself and, uh, left his wife with a pile of debt. Um, uh, two kids with special needs, wow. you know, uh, you know, he separated from us and went on his own trajectory. I, I'm not sure what he went through on deployment. um, But like, it's always the people that you least expect it from the, the, the people that are overly like, Hey, I'm good. Like I got my shit together. Like people that are struggling inside are very good at hiding it. And especially in the Marine Corps and law enforcement, we're good at compartmentalizing and just shutting the shit out and not thinking about it until 10 years later. Then, and then you got to deal with it. The, The second one that I can share, um, one of my squad leaders, his name was uh, Mark Bradley, and he was a good dude, stand up dude. He came over from Eighth Marines after my first deployment, and his brother was one of our boots. So I'm here, Mark's here, uh, as far as, uh, you know, on the pecking order of uh, how, long, how long they've been in. Well, we, we went on a mew, I get out. Uh, Everybody goes their separate ways. Um, They both ended up going to sniper school, and they both become scout snipers within the Marine Corps in 3-2. Mark got promoted. Mark was already a sergeant, so he was a sergeant. was the Lance Corporal, got promoted to corporal. Uh, on the Afghanistan deployment after I got out, which was a struggle that I dealt with because I was sitting at home, fucking drinking myself to sleep every night in a recliner, yep. hearing, getting a phone call every few weeks Hey, such and such got hit. Such and such lost their legs, blah, blah, blah. I get a phone call Hey, Mark, Mark got hit. He got hit on, or he got hit right a couple weeks before Father's Day in 2011 and oh, lost both of his legs. His brother is in the same platoon. In, in Afghanistan, different sniper teams. Yeah. But, um, when he came back, the younger brother, so, so Mark, the one who lost his legs ended up passing away two two weeks later. And if I'm not wrong, it was on father's day of 2011 that he passed. His younger brother got real bad into, uh, dope, um, opiates, prescription, heroin, uh, more than one time he would message me in the middle of the night, man. Hey, I need money to get to work. I need money to get to the bus. It was always something. And I'm like, bro, if you want some food, like, uh, send me the grocery store closest to you. I'll fucking call and put some on the books, but I'm not sending you any money. Like I, I, I know what's up. Good and, okay. uh, on Christmas day last year, I believe committed. So, well, I, I don't want to say that with a hundred percent, but he OD'd, um, mm. and you know, it could have been accidental. It could have been not, but, um, I've, I've had a lot of people close to me. Um, I can get Hutchinson, Treyer, him, my best friend tried to kill himself, hit a tree head on doing like 70 miles an hour with the seatbelt off, got ejected, fucking was paralyzed. And now he's alive. Um, you know, uh, Johnson, um, you know, if I sat here and really thought about it, like I, I could, I could rattle off a bunch of names, man. And and it's a problem dude. and, and, in a men's world and in a man's profession with men of men, alpha males, nobody yeah. wants to talk about yeah. their struggles.
2: Yeah, man, it, it's tough. And, um, I, I'll tell you my, my initial response is it was probably to you is disbelief. There's no way that that guy would do that. And, um, and you, cause you think about, right. You like, you're, you think rationally through that, saying he's got kids, he's got this, he's got that. And I'm convinced that, you know, the guy that that committed suicide, his name is Phil, that that wasn't Phil at that moment, right? That was somebody else. And because rational Phil, rational, uh, funny, uh, got it together, all together, like you were saying, it didn't seem like he would be capable of doing something like that. Um, although this man was extremely calculated and probably the person that asked the best questions in our group consistently. And uh I loved having him around, man, because he kept me in check. I always preach, hey, if something doesn't make sense to you, if I can't give you the why, please ask, right? Uh or if you don't understand the why, ask so I can I can do my best to explain. Bill took me up on that in every level, man. He (laughs) would always absolutely question things and, and not argumentatively just completely respectful um, him and I really hit it off when we were trying to um, let well, me take a step back we, we recognize there's an issue in our industry uh, when hemp was legalized in all 50 states. Texas um, like many states, marijuana is still illegal and um, we got with the academia side guys from uh, Florida International University who do a lot of canine research. And we got with them and we asked them, hey, can you guys help us kind of fix this problem, solve this problem? Or maybe it's not solvable, right, with dogs. Long story short, um, I presented it to all agencies in this area. And we said, hey, we're going to do a case study to see if these dogs can do this. And a lot of people said, yes, I want to be a part of it. But a lot of people said no. And when privately, when I went behind the scenes, and said, hey, just out of curiosity, you said no. Why why don't you want to do it? And they're overwhelmingly, the response was, if my dog can't do it, it automatically discredits his ability to work on the street. And I'm fearful of that. Phil's answer was, if my dog is discredited, he don't, he don't belong on the streets. So it is our responsibility to tackle this head on. And that was the moment where my respect for Phil went through the roof. And I said, all right, this guy gets it. We have an obligation to our industry to not shy away from potential problems Um, and I don't know if we've ever talked about that study, but, you know, long story short, we put 24 dogs in through the study and out of 24 dogs, 24 dogs passed with a 99.8% accuracy level and a double blind test. Um, and the, the certification, everything was done by the doctor who had the study from FIU, Dr. Frank. So that, uh, that is still in, uh, that, that paper has not been published yet. We've been giving him all hot kinds of hell why he hasn't published yet, but he's been doing some COVID research and other stuff that unfortunately was forced on his desk. But, um, it's going to be an interesting paper. And what's cool about it is it's going to have Phil's name on it and his dog's name. And it's going to show <laughs> ironically, uh, when we ask who wants to go first, Phil already had thought this out. He's like, Oh, I'm going first. <laughs> and we're all like, you're crazy, man. Like, I, I don't know if I want to go first. He's like, no, man, I get to say I'm the first dog team in Texas who was certified in the history of Texas on hemp versus marijuana. And he was right. And he knocked it out the park, scored 100. And until this day, I mean, he, in the record books, the first guy ever with his dog to to certify there. So in a, in a nutshell, uh, I could tell you so many more stories, but that was Phil. And man, it, it is, uh, it's tough. And I'm sure, especially like you described before, when guys are willing to fight with you and take bullets for you, and, and do all those things. There's a special bond that very few people understand there. It's just um it's hard to describe in words. It's an admiration, it's a love, it's it's an appreciation that goes beyond um just the average friendship. Well, and uh that's what we have. So yeah, go ahead, man.
1: Well and there's some level of uh hatred in there too. And I, I don't want to use hatred like too strongly, but like, like I remember getting in fistfights with, with my brothers over dumb shit, dude. (laughs) But like after that, like, Hey man, that was good, dude. You knocked me down, bro. Like, let's go have a beer and you know, I'm the only child. So I, I, I can't stand behind saying this is what a true brother feels like. But if, if I had to, if I had to guess, um, going through the suffering and the misery and the loss and the ups and the downs. And, and you, these dudes are right next to you going through it with you. And, uh, yeah. it's a, it's a hard, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to describe and to, and to be accurate about.
2: So, <clears throat> I mean, in that light, I know we want to, <laughs> we want to move on and, and talk about other things and, and we should, um, but I do want to shout out the the Code Nine project one more time. Absolutely. Um, I mean, with the work that they're doing, it's a kind of a grassroots kind of um, system. They're they're going to the guys at the boots on the ground, and they're they're talking to them, whether it's individually as a group, without their supervisors around. They're talking about the guys who may have responded to that officer who responded, and in this case, you know, unfortunately, did Phil did it at home, and you can imagine. <laughs> The officers responding to that situation oh. um, I can't imagine I, I I'm, I'm happy that it wasn't me um, there's there's certain things in my life I never want to see and um, that's one of them you now um, but you know getting those guys uh, who were immediately affected at that moment to sit down and talk about what they saw in process I think it's super important um, if you look at some of these large agencies I'm just going to throw out like the Chicago Police Department, um, they've seen a a lot of suicides and it, it's not being spoken about. And what you see is after one happens, usually there's several that happen right afterwards. Um and they're not getting the support that they need at the at the the ground level, man. And this is a the the owner of Code9 project is Brandy Lee Baker. Um <laughs> And she's like, hey, you, you're, you have my permission to use this analogy today because I told her I was going to be talking to you. And I, I asked for some kind of advice and a way to kind of structure some of this about the Code 9 project. And she says, hopefully this will kind of put things in perspective. Um, the, the best surgeon in the world is never allowed to operate on his own kids. Mm. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> and, I didn't either. Um, and the reason why is because there's too much at stake There's an emotional attachment. There's too much happening at that moment that the idea of making a mistake on your own child bears so much to it that the the chances are, of course, you will make a mistake. So why is our our police departments, our large agencies, why are they the ones to be trying to handle uh, the idea of operating on their own people? Sometimes they're not the best equipped to deal with things like that. So having a, another surgeon, another third party come in who is represented by active duty law enforcement, active duty military personnel, and retired military, retired loss so guys who have been through the struggle, guys who have lost brothers like you have, um, guys who have been through suicides in, in police departments, people who really, truly understand what it's like to go through that. Um, I'm sure this is not an easy conversation to have with a civilian that has no ties to the military or law enforcement. And it's hard to call that 1-800 number. You know what I'm saying? That suicide hotline, you're, there's a stigma even there and I'm sure they've done great work. And I, I don't mean to, to say anything negative about that, but I know most of the guys in law enforcement are not going to call that number. Mm. But what if the other person on the phone is a law enforcement officer? What if the other person on the side of the phone actually understands because he's been through it and he gets the idea of administration not having your back or pushing it to the side and acting like it's not a big deal and, and asking you to go put your uniform on the next day and go to work. Like nothing happened. Oh. That's a big deal. Man. Um, so code nine project. Um, if there's a way that I can send you a link, I will, hopefully mm-hmm. we can, we can start posting that and, and really promoting such an important free service that's out there. Um, but anyway, man, I I feel like I took it enough, uh, enough of this podcast time on some heavy stuff.
1: Uh. Do you want to take
2: the conversation, brother? <laughs>
1: it's it's all good, man. This this conversation, you're kind of pushing it down. Like like this conversation needs to be had, and people need to hear this. You know, there's no shame in taking up time or any of that. You know, like that that's we we're minimizing what right. just happened and this is somebody that you you know was a brother to you and you know we could talk for an hour on i i don't i i would be totally fine with that but um i i do agree with you 100% and um you know if you know the people that run that organization i would love to have a conversation with them and uh you know maybe work something out where you know, i can mention them on the podcast or whatever um and I, Dude, I've said it time and time and again, and at the risk of repeating myself, like I always do, um, like military I have a special view of law enforcement. At least I do, and at least the guys that I've talked to do. Like when when we deploy, we go to a foreign country, fucking twenty hour flight away. Right. We're there for seven months we do what we do and then we come home. Like you guys are there every single day. You see the worst of the worst on a regular basis and you can't shut it off. You live in the same place. There's no, there's no, you know, protocol in place. Like with us, like you got to have a minimum of six months back at home doing training, blah, 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 blah. What changes do you think could be implemented on on a on a you know across the board level that would actually have a, a you know a positive impact with law enforcement in these issues.
2: Well, being able to talk about it is the first part, right? It's such a taboo subject, and um, there's a there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Um, I, I talked to an officer today who called Phil a coward, and I'm like, I don't think you understand, man. That takes hey, more I balls
1: under- than. Then you think to fucking pull the trigger, dude.
2: Right. So, and I understand he's coming from a place of pain, right? Like that's the way he perceives it, but you can see how the misunderstanding of what was happening in those moments prior, he doesn't, there's no way he understands with a comment like that. And I'm not mad at him for saying that he's talking to me about how he really feels. And that's part of him going through the process of, of mourning, right? He's one of our brothers. Um, but educating that officer, right, by the people who should be educating them is the, is the most important part. I'm not that guy. I'm not a professional in that regard. Um, I can just freely talk about how vulnerable this has made me with my own guys and how I believe that's going to benefit our, our, our ability to communicate about tough things and even our ability to get closer as a group. And I'm looking forward to that. Something that was probably one of my weaknesses I hope to become one of my strengths all because I'm going through something that I realize there's an opportunity here. Phil wouldn't want you to waste it. Don't waste it. Um. So although like I, I, when you, when you asked, Hey, do you want to come back on? I was like, yeah, man, we, there was so much we didn't get to talk to in the first episode. I was excited about <laughs> hitting all these topics and you know, the world has a way of organizing things the way it should um so I do appreciate you you giving me an opportunity to talk about something heavy and and then you're sharing your stories man. The, we can't minimize all that stuff too. It's in, it's important to talk on both ends. Um I can tell you there wasn't a time where I was pissed off at him per se when I heard it was surprised, right? For the most part I was really surprised. Um and then when I naturally went through all my text messages and videos that you showed me, I can tell you that um one of the things that i kind of crossed notes with another officer who had talked to him recently was that he was making amends with people who had wronged uh, him. The uh. He was going out of his ways to speak to, um, some brass that was above him that he had, tr- had a real hard time with. And he had vocalized it to me and, um, man, I didn't know how to feel about it. I'm like, was it th- th- was this something planned or was it, um, Was it something that he felt like he needed to do? I don't know, but it took guts to do that. It took guts to reach out to the person who had had a target on him for so long and make amends with that person. And that stuff is inspiring. That's the kind of story that we need to be talking about, right? Those are the things that we can be focusing on too. Um, And I'm sure as we get closer to getting more information, there'll be more amazing stories. Knowing Phil the way I do, I'm sure there are other things that he did that we could admire and appreciate. And it's not just about that final act. It's about so much more uh, that he was about, man. And I hope that I can bring the focus back where it needs to be and not uh, not show anger toward that, right? Because um, to make pretend I understand exactly what he'd be going through would be a disservice to him. And that's just not, not something I'm interested in doing.
1: Well, and that's, you know, my wife's a mental health professional and that's one of the stages of mourning or grieving for when this happens, because we rationalize it as you're ca- You caused me to feel this way and to suffer this way. So our, our natural reaction is to get angry at that person. And yeah. I mean, that's completely normal. Um, I, I do think I, I don't want to call it like a blessing in disguise, but I do think that the impact of what happened will carry more benefits through you and through everybody you guys touch and work with. You know, it sucks that it happened, but we finding the positives and, and tragedies is the best way to kind of, you know, not make them right, but to come to terms with them and, and take something away from it. Because if you just get mad and you let it bother you and you let it bother the ranks, it's, it's useless. But if you know, uh mandatory mental health debrief every single shift with your guys. Hey, what did you see? How are you feeling? You know, yeah. how, how can I help you? If that's what comes out of it, think about the impact that that's going to have on all the other officers that hear this and that come behind you guys.
2: Yeah, for sure, bro. For sure. Um, you know, I always appreciate when guys kind of set the tone in our, our briefing. Like before our Tuesday training, we typically kind of go over our deployments for the week. And, um, we, we talk about the ones that we did well and, and the ones we failed on and we're, we're trying to learn from each other right, and be brutally honest about our mistakes we made. And, um, you know, I, I had one of our officers share with the group, something that he called me privately about, and it was a, a he's a dual purpose, uh, he's, a, he works a dual purpose dog and it was a track for a, um, uh, a, a girl with special needs. Mm. Um, and he was not sure. He's like, man, my dog is expecting a bite at the end of this track. I don't think my dog is the best dog for this. <laughs> and uh, he realized quickly that the there were no real other options. So he said, you know what? My dog's got a good proximity. I have enough control over my dog where as we're getting closer, I'm going to pull back and we're going to have our other officers continue the search. Which is, you know, thinking outside the box there, which I really appreciated. And his dog is picking up a scent article and is doing its job beautifully. Um, and then it gets to uh, like a, a pond or a lake and the dog starts kind of circling in an area and he's, he's convinced that his dog is messing around he's trying to get him all out of the water and back on the track. Mm. Well, unfortunately the little girl's body was in that water exactly where the dog was. Mm. And she happened to be around the same age as this officer's daughter. And as they pull her out of the water, the family is behind him. Oh. They see this horrific scene kind of unfolding in front of them. And he, he called me, man. And there was, there was a lot of grief in his voice. There were tears. And, there was, and he's like the, the guy who's always cracking jokes in our group, the guy who works out the most. He's that guy. But he broke down. And part of me was, well, first off, part of me was destroyed for him too, right? Like it, it broke my heart that he had to see that and made that correlation with his own daughter. Mm. But part of me was super proud of him that he would call somebody and tell Talk him how he right. felt. You see what I'm saying? And this was a guy who also s- saw some time in the military, and I think maybe he learned from that, from his buddy's mistakes by not sharing that. So you know, I didn't want to waste that opportunity and and. You know, I taught a supervisor class and I, I brought it up and I put I put that that agency on a pedestal for a second because I called the supervisor and I said, hey, man, th- this officer does not need to be on duty right now. This is the start of his shift. This is very early in his shift. I think my professional opinion is that it has nothing to do with canine. OK, this is a personnel issue, but I think he needs to g- at least give him the option to go home early. And they did. He called him right away. He told them, you know, what was going on. They had that conversation. And um, I'm proud of that agency for taking that step because okay. that stuff's important, man. Um, they didn't minimize it. They they recognized that if I'm calling you at 11 o'clock at night, it's probably for a good reason. And um, I'm proud of the officer for being so transparent about that kind of stuff. And I think it rubbed off on us because it, it really allowed us as a group to recognize we're on this together, man. We see the ugliest of the ugly. And um, because of that, we should be willing to talk about it more because within our group, within our circle, there are very few people outside of that circle that really understand what we go through. So anyway, I don't even know how that conversation started, but... Why,
1: Why do you think, like, so, like, the senior leadership in most police departments or sheriff's offices... They've they've all been on the street. They've all walked the beat. They've all seen the scene. The scene. Why isn't there more of an effort on their part to to take that stigma away, or or to 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 do exactly what you just said? I mean, wh- where's where is the boundary? Wh- you know, wh- where is it? Like what? Wh- I, you know, I don't understand.
2: It's a good question. I think a lot of the guys who are in upper admin positions are kind of old school, where they were mm. taught to do the exact opposite, Uh right? Uh Let's not bring attention to it. It's part of our job. It's not a big deal. Well, you know, the show must go on kind of mentality. And um, so with that, you have a culture that's still hanging on to that notion that we should just be able to get through that stuff without a problem or it's not a big deal or minimizing it. Um, I think that the emotional intelligence of some of these agencies at the upper admin is getting better. As a whole, I think it's safe to say that it is getting better, but I think we can be doing more um, to get better information out there and educate guys um, in a more effective way. Um, these are tough conversations, man. It's easy for me to be on the side of the microphone and say, you know, as an administration, you, you've you got to really do X, Y, Z. That may be true, but I know there's a lot of things behind the scenes that that they may not understand themselves. They are, may not be trained to tackle something like that. I was lucky that the supervisor I called that day was more than willing, not only to get up and take my phone call to follow through, not just that night, but the following day. And then the following week, and then the following month, call me and say, Hey man, how do you think he's doing? Like, do you feel, do you think he's processed this? Like that's, that's rockstar stuff right there. That's rare. hmm It really is. And, but it shouldn't be right. Cause it, how much effort does that take? Like most of the supervisors, I would think, in my experience, do truly care for their guys. How they show it may be a little interesting, <laughs> uh, but that that was a perfect example uh, of, a, of a supervisor who got it, who totally understood um, the opportunity he had in front of him to, to really be there for his guy.
1: Well, and and to me as a civilian, but somebody who's been in a form of the game before, it would seem to me like It would be a liability to have people on the street as an officer carrying a gun and a dog who are struggling mentally. Like it seems like you would want people there 100 percent in the game and focused and, you know, not dealing with stuff. So it's just it's just so odd to me, especially in the canine world and in law enforcement, like the lack of resources it's, it's astonishing, dude. Like I see every single day on Facebook, like police departments are posting for GoFundMes to get fucking stab proof vests for their dogs or heat alarms for their cars. Like what, what, what are we doing? I I don't understand that. You know, uh, it seems like you would want everybody there sharp, all their shit together mentally uh, and, and, and ready to go.
2: Yeah. Well, you have to ask yourselves, are, are, are these supervisors sharp and mentally ready? Do they have the emotional intelligence to recognize when one of their guys is not? What, what is that supervisor going through at home? What stresses do he have above him? Like it is, there are so many layers to this thing that, again, it goes back to your first question or our first conversation. It's having the conversation is the first step, right? And then and in being brutally honest about um, you know, myself as a leader, some of my deficiencies, some of the things I could have done better. Um, it's always something that I'll question if there was something more I could do for Phil. Um, but you know, in that, I know that there's something I can do now and that's going to be my motivation, right? Is I may be right in my, my criticism of myself, but I can't do anything about it. Stuff I didn't do right in the past, but I, I could take the steps today to be better as a leader and be there for my guys. And that's something that I'm committed to do. And, um, in my commitment, I know that will, that will travel to my guys and and make them just as committed for anybody else who may need it. And again, it starts with a conversation, man.
1: Well, and the thing is to, um, one of my best friends from the Marine Corps, uh, one of his best friends committed suicide and I knew the other guy, I I wasn't other than, you know, professionally interacting with him. I, I didn't have a relationship with him. And to yeah. this day, he still questions himself. And I see the pain and the struggle that it causes. Like, you know, I know it's cliche or or whatever, but you didn't do anything wrong. I, I, you know, we have a relationship on some level, but I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good judge of character to an extent. <laughs> I <don't> know we <laughs> talked offline before, but, um, you know, I don't think that you're the type of person who would, Do anything negligent or to purposely harm or let one of your guys down at all. It's 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 the that's the one of the time tested old battles that anybody who left behind from this incident um, goes through, and you you can't beat yourself up. You know, you you just got to know that that person was going through things, and or possibly had some kind of chemical imbalance going on that made them do something irrational and you can't rationalize something that's irrational.
0: From basic to advanced training, Joint Forces Canine offers Arkansas's best dog training services. Whether you want to get your pet up to speed on basic obedience or are looking for more advanced training such as specific odor detection, personal protection, competition and trial prep, service dog training, and more, the professionals at Joint Forces Canine will help your dog become the best that it can be. Joint Forces Canine is veteran-owned and offers all levels of training for pets and working dogs on their 20-acre dog training facility, which includes kennels, an indoor training arena, a pro shop, technical ponds, a trial field, and an agility course. Contact us today for more information and a free evaluation. You can also learn about our boarding, grooming, and working dog sales. Joint Forces Canine wwwjointforcesk or call 479-802-0775 jointforcesk9.com 479-802-0775
2: Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Um yeah, it's tough, man. Um and as it, this just happened, right? Like just several days ago. So the funeral arrangements haven't even been made yet. And, uh, like my, my current stress right now is I, I am, I'm supposed to speak in Austin. Um, and I'm supposed to instruct and I'm supposed to have a nice class. And this has been something that's been set up for almost a year and I'm dreading the possibility that I'll miss his funeral because I have to be in Austin. Um, right now, that's my biggest concern is not being able to pay respect to my guy.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, uh, did. D- Being there on that day or 10 days later, dude, that's not the point. The point is, is that you go at some time and you, and you let it all out when you're there and and you do it, you know? Um, I'm sure everybody understands personally. I don't attend funerals for Mm -hmm. suicide, Um, but I've also been through so many of them. Like at this point, I hate to say it, that like, I'm kind of numb to it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm cold or evil, but um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you know uh, there's blessings that are going to come of this and you're going to, he's going to live through you and you're going to trickle it down through your guys. But at the same time, you have a family to support and yeah. you have to do what's best for you. And you know, I, cause it's not something that, you know, we should beat ourselves up for because at the end of the day, He's up there probably laughing at you like, bitch, you ain't missing this shit, you know? And uh, I know it's a tough one, but, um, you know, I just, I just trying to, as somebody who's been through this man, like, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up too bad and and don't let yourself suffer because of it, because they want us to live the best life possible. And the guys that have gone out on their shield, you know, they, they want to see us, they, you know, living, living every day to the most.
2: For sure, man. I I do appreciate that. It's uh, it's easy to get down that rabbit hole, right? Like, uh, overly focused on on being there on a certain day. But like you said, there are ways I can honor him from now to the end of my life, and that's more important than being there or not being there uh, one specific day. Um, I just part of me feels like it's a part of the mourning duty process. Yeah, you and duty. Yeah, um, as a guy who who certified him, who trained him, who had really meaningful conversations. Um, but man, I am not looking forward to seeing his daughters, seeing his wife, you know, hearing taps being played. Um, that stuff, uh, it gets me every time, bro, as, as a father. Um, I can't imagine. And uh, it sucks, bro. There's there's just, there are very few words that they can describe that whole process. Um, but I'm happy to have this conversation and thank you for uh, not shying away from something so important. And uh, you may not gain any listeners from this episode, but uh, (laughs) I hope that uh, if we can affect somebody in a positive way, just one person, I think you you and I will both agree that it was worth our time.
1: Oh, absolutely. My, my goal is not to get more listeners. My goal is to help our communities. That's the whole reason I started this podcast and the reason that it's morphed into LEO and canine people is because I want to bring awareness and I want somebody listening who might be about to take that step to say, that guy's been through what I've been through or worse. This is what he's done. And, and God, you know, I, I, dude, I can't tell you how many times I've had random people message me on Instagram and Facebook and say, dude, thank you for what you're doing. And, um, that means more to me than, it's awesome, man. <clears throat> Sorry. That means more no, to me. That, that means a lot to me. And, um, you know, if I was wealthy, I'd be donating a lot of money and stuff like that. But um, does, I have a voice. I'm good at doing this. So, dude, you don't have to apologize at all. I, you know, I'm I'm very, very, I, I don't know what it was. It's something I had no idea that you were going through this. And yeah. then it was like, boom, message Steven. He's fucking excellent at speaking. And he would be good next episode. And, um, you know, here we are.
2: Oh, thank you, brother. And, uh, that's what, that's the, the people who do appreciate you. I mean, that's why they do, right. Cause you're doing it for the right reasons. You're not selling yourself out there, uh, for the idea of getting viewers or, or money per se. It's just giving people a voice. Um, the truth is somebody out there needed to hear this. Yeah. I'm convinced Well, and that's probably why you and I are here today. It's yeah. not a coincidence. <laughs>
1: It's not a coincidence, man. And the more and more I learn to just let go and go with the flow, like good things come out of that. And up until yesterday, two days ago, um, I paid for this podcast out of pocket. Um, I have a new anchor sponsor, uh, Joint Forces Canine Facility out of Siloam, Arkansas, Rob Shoemake. I don't know if you're familiar with him or his facility.
2: I am. It looks pretty freaking amazing. I know you were out there and I saw some of the pictures that you took and I don't even know if they do it justice. That, that facility is world-class.
1: Well, and, and he's now um, coming on board and helping with the financial burden. And um, uh, you know, I need to plug you two in. He, he's a, uh, he was a, I believe he was in the army and uh, he was a law enforcement officer for a long time. And he's a really solid guy. You know, he called me up yesterday and offered some, uh, criticism, constructive criticism. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he's somebody that I want to be one day and has what I want to have. So, you know, I shut my mouth and I listen and I'm very thankful to him. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, like I said, I still don't make any money, but, uh, you know, I do this because I enjoy talking to people and, and, and learning. So, um, with that being said, um, let's see here, what we'll, we'll, we'll is there anything else you want to touch on on that subject before we flip flop and change? Uh, up?
2: No, man. Uh, you know, it's, there's so much there. Uh, admittingly, like I said, I'm, I'm still going through that process. I'm still trying to figure it out as I go through it. Um, but just having this conversation with you is helpful. Good. And if, it, if it's helpful to me, that means it's going to be helpful for other people. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak about something that not many people like to speak about.
1: Of course, anytime. And your Texas is—I you know. I'm serious. Like it's on my list. I got to go out to Nevada because I promised uh, my buddy Hog. I go out there and, and work dogs and be with him. And then you're next on the list in in between the, I'm going to joint forces, uh, for Cameron Ford, Pat Nolan and Simon Pren's odor, uh, seminar in the beginning of, uh, November. And then, um, I'm going over to Hanover, Pennsylvania. It's a long drive, um, to do a decoy seminar again and to work dogs and, uh, hang out with Sean from Deadpool. But, um, it might, it might not be this year, but, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to come down there. I actually, uh, one of the uh, pioneer families here in the Vail Valley who own Vail Mountain and Beaver Creek and they own car dealerships all over the state uh, is one of my clients. And uh, I have a really good relationship with him. And I told him I was looking for a Toyota Sienna minivan. And he's like, mm-hmm. dude, fucking here's my cell phone. Here's my card. Call me. I called him today. He put me in with the president of his, co- uh, of his company and they called. So hopefully within a week or two, uh, I won't be sharing a car with the wife and I'll, I'll be driving a minivan, so that's
2: great. Dude, yeah, that is awesome. That is, I'm happy for you. It's a game changer, bro.
1: It is. So, what song was, or do you want to be the your first dance at your wedding? I shouldn't say, do you want to be. What what song was uh, your first dance at your wedding?
2: Uh, what song was it? So, my wife will kill me if I don't get this right. So, <laughs> I'm glad she's not in the, sitting in this room. So uh, we came out to like more of a party kind of theme okay. where it was like, you know, uh, the bridesmaids and groomsmen came out to kind of pump us up. And then um, we came out to a Chris Brown song, which is funny because consider he was like convicted of
1: beating his wife,
2: uh, beating his wife. Right. And <laughs> this was before that all happened. Right. It was like an upbeat Chris Brown song. I forget uh, what song it was, but it was, it was purely out of just it's joyous. My wife and I had, known Each other since the third grade, and a lot of people think it was like an arranged <laughs> marriage or something like that. I promise you, it wasn't. I uh, go ahead. What did you I, say?
1: Uh, I was gonna, say, I can't think of the name of the song, but it was Ed Sheeran, and it was the song where it's like, When your legs don't work like they used yeah, yeah. to anymore, you know, that yeah. song.
2: That was yours, is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, that was ours. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's a good That was my buddy's too. I went to his wedding, and uh, uh, thinking out loud, I think is what that song okay. is. I, I could be wrong, that's just a lyric, it's probably wrong. <laughs> uh,
1: what is the weirdest food combination that you enjoy?
2: The weirdest food combination I enjoy. Let's see. Um, you know, we tried a lot of crazy things when my wife was pregnant because that's the excuse, right? That you, have. <laughs> you can have pickles and ice cream. You can have, uh, you know, potato chips and ice cream. So I tried a lot of weird things. Um, dude, I'm such a foodie. There are not many things that I dislike. So what's weird to somebody else may not be weird to me, but if you've ever had like pickles and ice cream, it's it's kind of a weird combination, Um, but for whatever reason, it works for me. We don't do it all the time, but I'll do it again.
1: So I would say uh, pickles, classic zesty dill pickles and blue Doritos
2: for mine. You mean like the Cool Ranch Doritos? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. The Blue Bag. Yeah, Cool Ranch with zesty dill spears. And then if you can find it, it's called Cotswold Cheese. It's a British yeah. cheese. It's like orange with like speckles of chives in it. Whew, phenomenal, dude.
2: Hey, dude, I'll, I'll try it. You got me excited about trying something new now.
1: <laughs> so – um Getting back to the, the, the convo here, I'm going to probably wrap up in about 15 minutes trying to keep it under an hour. Or so we're at 46, but just so we're on the same page. Um, you know, like, so I don't know if you've ever had a, a dog that you participated in dog sports in aside from law enforcement, but do canine officers like love that dog? Like, like I love my dog and is it kind of a, you want you, you, I don't know how to frame this. Like some people pump their, their egos are pumped up by their dog. And, um, do, do canine officers have that same, like, oh, my dog can do this. Or, uh, do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm kind of at a loss for words trying to explain that.
2: So do canine officers get pumped up by their dog's success? And does it, does it pump up their ego? Is that, is that a good way to phrase it? Not, not,
1: not so much the ego, but like, 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 when you were talking about your buddy and he was like, Oh no, my dog is like he has to win this. Like he has to do it. Like, you know, how some people kind of live through their dog. Is it that same oh, yeah. kind of a relationship that, that like you guys have as opposed to protection dog or sport dog owners?
2: Yeah. So let's get back to something that uh, you and I started to talk about last time. Right. And the instincts part of dogs, this is, this is plays perfect into that segue. So pack instinct is the ability for that dog to feel secure around his pack members or perceived pack members. The handler is 100% a pack member, right? So my success is my dog's success. My dog's success is my success and vice versa. Um, it, one of the things that we focus on the most is that aspect, right? Because I don't want my dog, and this is maybe a controversial statement to some trainers out there, um, but I, I heavily disagree with the notion that the dog's only reward should be the prey item his toy, right? It's the shared experience with the handler in conjunction with the engagement in the toy is what I believe makes the level of reward the highest it possibly can be. So yeah, like when we perform well, when it's a local competition or whatever, let's be honest, we're all, we're all in it not to lose. We all want to, to be the best dog on the field. But man, I can't tell you how much I enjoy seeing the relationship built up with um, the handler, that pack instinct being developed correctly. Um, because yes, the, immediately when that dog does well, the, the joy uh, that's in, that's, that is, that is not only seen in, in the the vocalization of the handler, but it's seeing physically, like you can see his body in in a joyful state that his dog did well. And that's always really special because um, that moment also means something for that dog because he's perceiving all that and recognizing the difference in his handler as well. Body language is a huge thing for dogs. So, you um, know, I constantly will tease my guys like, Hey man, you do you not like your dog. <laughs> then. Why are you praising like you don't like him? Like, Oh, good boy. No, no man. Give me something more than that. It's ridiculous. If you don't want this dog, I'll take your dog for you. I'll take him today. If you don't like him. (laughs) And I really pushed that issue because the relationship is so important. Um, in for that team. Uh, I feel like it too long. Have we gone in our industry with the idea of the dog should work for his toy. The dog should work for his toy. The dog for work for work for his toy. Um, I'm getting tongue tied over here. Um, the truth is there's so much more that dog will do for you if you develop pack instinct correctly. And, uh, yeah, it's a special thing when you see it happen for sure. I have no idea if I answered your question, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, you did. (laughs) No worries. But so I did some bite work with my dog with, um, uh, a girl, uh, Kay Vanderlinden, she's, um, going to be on the podcast soon. And, uh, I've noticed s- all, almost since the beginning with my dog, even though we have a great relationship, um, I, you know, I feel he earns his, he's an existential feeding dog. He earns his food through my hand throughout the day for training. You nice. know, we have, we have a great relationship. He's very possessive and when i walk up next to him if he's back tied on a bite he starts to swing the other way mm-hmm. and kind of yeah. kind of blade me with his eyes he and wants to
2: see you and the and and engage the the decoy at the same time i
1: i think it's more he's worried about that i'm going to make it stop yeah kind of a thing um oh yeah but we we kind of work through that using opposition reflex and you know marking at the correct time and stuff like that um do you think that's a side effect of me not developing his pack drive all the way or is that just like a possessive malinois like
2: it's 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 uh, but it could be potentially a lot of things Uh, i can tell you what we do as a group is we make sure that the decoy is taking a tricep bite walking away from the dog and we we tell the the handler to get in what's called the pocket on one side of the dog and we we have another pack member. Yeah, okay? force, force exactly. Him. exactly. And we're complimenting him physically and verbally. Right. So now the handlers are part of that and we don't ask him to out, right. We're going to, that's the time we would slip a sleeve. We would do all that stuff. So if, if the out was creating that, that a lot of times it's a hard out, the choke off and all that stuff yep, yep. and create that, if you do it too much, if it's the only tool you're using yeah, you can see that avoidance behavior. Like, damn, is this the time Dad's going to choke me out? Mm. I hate when he does that. Right. Is there something I can do to prolong that process? Um, so, and I love that drill because I can also incorporate other handlers, which is super realistic on a real bite. Right? You're going to have you know all the dogs and handlers call me Uncle Steve on one side, and and maybe Ryan on the other, and we're going to be assisting on taking this bad guy down. So you see less and less of it when that happens. But the compliment, uh, I mean, I, I, I utilize that often, the verbal compliment, which we're all familiar with, but also the physical compliment. Like, how are you petting your dog? Is he perceiving as pumping him up or an actual compliment? And the way we touch our dog when we're trying to to uh, physically compliment the dog is almost almost the tip of the nose at the top, exactly, and bring it right back to the bridge over his eyes and behind his neck, which Don't actually... Make- pushes them forward. Yep. A lot of the times. So you you have this beautiful opportunity to when you teach that in bite work, also to get that in your detection. If the dog is further from the odor than you like him to be, let's say he's in the vicinity, but not closest to odor. And you're really focusing on obedience to odor, giving him that exact same physical compliment will actually bring him closer into the odor. Something we do with our, our foundational drills often So, the dog understands what that means. So, now when he's on the bite and things are getting crazy, let's get back to what the dog knows. It becomes a foundational piece of who that dog is. It's a great way to communicate um, all those beautiful things he may be doing. And then you don't give him that when he is doing something you don't want, right? So, you don't, you start to not compliment the behavior and he starts to go through different behaviors until he gets to the right one, which you will compliment. So you're going through the whole operant conditioning, all four or all four quadrants, if you do it correctly. And eventually it becomes so uh, natural to the dog that he's expecting you to come in and he's calm because he knows he's going to get complimented.
1: Yeah. And, and I definitely do like the, you know, the tip of the nose to the top of the head, because I I think that releases dopamine inside the dog. It kind of simulates the, the mother, you know licking the dog's face or yeah. or whatever but i just dude there's nobody up here to to do bite work with i mean it's a few hour drive you know yeah. so we just we just don't get a lot and i hate it um but you know it is what it is and now i'm like looking at my phone i think you're only like 10 11 hours from me and i'm yeah. like if i left on a sunday you know i i could have monday tuesday and then drive home on a wednesday i might be able to squeeze that in before um, all this other stuff, yeah. but, um, yeah, I, I, I really want to work, work this dog and put put my suit on. I haven't even taken a bite in my new suit yet, dude. Like oh, that, uh, it,
2: that was my next question, bro, is how's your suit being broken <laughs> in? You haven't even had a chance to do that. That's yeah. sad,
1: bro. I know. So I don't have anybody up here. I, I do put it on and do like, try to do burpees and, and stuff like that. But, uh, other than freaking, freaking out the neighbors, I'm not making very much progress. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I guess that would be really weird to look out my window and see some dude and doing burpees and a, and a bite. Suit Especially
1: if you don't know what it is, you know exactly. what I mean? Like what's this dude yeah. doing, dude? So, Oh man, what do you got going on next week?
2: So I told you I was in Austin, uh, be in Austin Thursday. Um, at the end, let's see here. We're oh yeah. This, this
1: week it's Monday. I get my days or so. I only, I don't yeah. have any days off, dude. I'm, I got 10 new pack clients. I've got eight lessons, today through Wednesday and then I'm working my other job. Like I'm just go, go, go.
2: Good for you, man. Staying busy is a good thing. Um, I got a crazy, awesome call um, last Tuesday from a Texas state representative. who said, Hey man, uh, your, your name came up in the canine circles. Um, Governor Abbott, which is our Abbott, uh, our Abbott, our governor here (laughs) in Texas um, had just signed a bill releasing several millions of dollars that were supposed to be put into school safety. This was in reaction to the Uvalde stuff. And the question came up, is there a way we can utilize dogs to make our schools safer? And uh, so they called me and they said, Hey, we're, we're, we're looking at all perspectives here. We, we don't really know um, what to do with this money. We want to make our schools safer. Um, and they threw out, what they were calling a, uh, an active shooter dog. And immediately I'm like, oh shit, I know where this is going. Um, I'm going to be completely transparent with you and your audience. Um, I've seen companies try to sell what they call active shooter dogs and it's a dog and pony show. It's, it's a facade. Um, and I don't mean to talk negatively about anybody, but worstly, I think they're trying to take advantage of a absolute tragedy that it was the, the murder of kids and they're trying to make money off of it. Um, so that, that kind of pissed me off and, um, you even got me swearing on your podcast. I will never swear, um, <laughs> uh, that, that, that upset me <laughs> dearly. And, uh, so I voiced my opinion to this representative and I said, Hey man, there's a lot of guys who are going to reach out to you because they knew that money was now available. It was made public that this money is going to go to, to, to school safety in Texas. And I said, Hey, I, I see what they're doing. They have a dog who, may not even be a dual-purpose dog, just a dog that likes to bite, right? And there's a huge difference. Um, And, yeah, they're simulating gunfire, and there's a guy in a suit. So, of course, the dog is going to bypass everybody screaming, right? In the best scenarios, that's what they show. is a dog on one side or maybe around a corner in a hallway, some gunfire, and then the dog kind of just bypasses all the kids running toward the dog, and he, he hits the guy in a suit. Well, essentially, he's just queuing up on the audio sound and the equipment. None of that tells me that that dog can actually do that. And then we have to have the conversation: Is that the right tool for that situation? Right? Is this the right tool for that environment? And at at best, you're going to have a dog that took a couple bullets that were meant for kids, which I can understand that argument. I'm willing to hear that argument. But you're going to have a dead dog or an injured dog who's going to hurt people. And it is about the money at the end of the day. Um, so I told them my, my thoughts about it, my concerns, and my passion for people who are, are trying to make money off of this tragedy and how I really dislike those people, let's say. Well, so they put the question back on me. Okay, Steve, what if it's your kids? And it's your school district that calls you and say, we have this amount of money to be applied to canine detection of some kind? How can we make our school safer? And I'm like, if you're worried about weapons in a school, there are, you know, firearm detection dogs. We certify them. They're very capable. But the truth is, you're going to have to stop that threat before he gets in if you're going to make a difference. By the time he gets in and he's doing his thing, it's too late. And the dog no, no longer is a viable option at oh, that it's a suicide mission. A hundred percent. Um so truly if we're going to stop the threat the way we want to, we have to be present at the front of the school, at the at the places where someone can enter. And that's the start. We can we can train a firearm detection dog that can also, if challenged, address a threat, right? Again, before their shooting starts. Just like if it was on patrol. So they're essentially dual-purpose firearm dogs, and I said that would be the only thing that I would be on board with, and if it's done correctly and it's the right dog, the right mentality, right handler, we can do. But to scale it up, and this is the numbers they were throwing at me, we want to scale this up by, by the thousands. And I'm like, bro, again, what's practical here, right? I don't care about the dollars. What's practical? What's actually going to work? I don't want some false sense that uh, their school is safer when it truly is not because then you're doing just as disservice as, as much or worse. So um, we're still in the conversation. They, they they want to bring me on as a consultant with that. I told them that I would, I would love to have that business, but not at the The sake of our kids. Exactly. Right. We, we got to do it the right way. So in the event that that does um, move forward, and they want to hire me in the company, then what's cool about that is I get to give back to the guys in my circle, right? I get to hire everybody and say, hey, look, our mission has slightly changed now. This is kind of where God has put us. Let's focus on this for the sake of the safety of kids and let's do this the right way. And in that case, I'm not the end all be all. I'm gonna contact my mentors, right? Which you and I talk about and it's important. I can't believe I went this far in the podcast that I mentioned them. But Bob Suarez and, and Metro Day Canine um, and Tony Guzman, Metro Day Canine, um, those are the guys that have done everything for me as far as education and pouring in uh, all they had in me. When I was a dumb, uh, arrogant, thought What he knew he was doing canine handler who, who, threw, who threw the term trainer like I knew what the hell I was talking about. And um, they beat me down verbally. They gave me an ass whooping. And uh, they humbled me quickly, and more so, they they put me underneath their their wings, if you will, and really gave me everything I needed to be successful here in Texas. And um, yeah, man, so I, I owe everything to them. And it's uh, always important to me that I give credit where credit's due. There's nothing I created, and I didn't reinvent the wheel or anything like that. I just been given a, a platform an opportunity to um, to be blessed enough to to lead those canine guys that I do every week and man, the company's growing. I think you talked, uh, we talked a little bit. We're going to be in South Africa, um, later in the year. Um, we got hired to go out there and help those guys said that they're stuck in like maybe the early nineties when it comes to canine training and, uh, they needed some help out there. So there's going to be 15 to 20 guys in, um, in Cape town, oh. um, uh, work the ports, um, dignitary protection to explosive detection, narcotics, Um, They're going to do it all. And we're going to give them two weeks of our time and we're going to do good work for them. And I'm hoping that that will be an annual thing where I can bring more and more people um, to assist these, these people who very, um, very humbly ask for help. And um, I met them while teaching uh, uh, at, uh, I think it was the canine cop magazine conference in, in Vegas. And they waited an hour, bro. When I was done with my demonstration, And my whole thing, we have people to come up and ask questions. They waited an hour, and they were like, "Hey, man, um, would you be interested in going to South Africa?" And I'm thinking, "Yeah, I mean, why not, right?" (laughs) Well, when they told me that they were going to take care of absolutely everything for me and the kind of the deal they were thinking and the vision they had and where they wanted to take their canine program over there, I was the one humbled, and and I really wanted to to help these guys out. So I can't wait. for those pictures and videos to come out about the transformation of these dogs because i, I want to do like a before and after um, to, to even for the handlers to see how much they improved during that time because i did get to see some video of what they're doing and you don't know what you don't know you can't blame the guys mm-hmm. but you certainly can have respect for the guy who recognizes there's a better way to do something and to ask for help um again very humbling experience for me
1: well, dude, if you need a dummy and a bite suit, man, I would love to be a part of that. Wanna go to
2: South Africa, man?
1: I'm total. I'm serious. Yeah, I would absolutely love to. When is it?
2: Uh, the end of September into October.
1: Yeah, hell yeah, I would love to go. Honestly, I, I would really love to be a part of that, man. I can bring my suit and you know help out where I could. Don't need. So you
2: got a passport, bro? I do. Okay, of course, my,
1: my wife's from another country.
2: That's right. So yeah. <laughs> it's actually
1: expired right now. I'm in the process of uh renewing it, but definitely Yeah, that's a two months from or a month, about a month and a half from now.
2: Yeah, we my wife had to renew it and she had to change her last name because when she first got it, she had her maiden name. Oh no. So it took us uh a little over eight weeks to get it back, and we were real nervous that it got like lost in the mail or something, or something happened. We're like was like, hey, you may not be able to go to South Africa. I might be going alone. I was actually making, uh, I was was making a secondary kind of a backup plans uh, with one of my mentors. Be like, hey, if my wife can't go, which is the administrative part of all my business, I'm gonna need some help. I don't want to go alone.
1: Well, so dude, uh, it would be cool. I mean, I could go. We could do podcasts with these guys and record and and and, and set up and and you know, I can help with the the media side of that. Um,
2: yeah, uh, dude. As this grows, I have no doubt in my mind that this is going to be a, a pretty cool event. So mark this moment down in history. <laughs> I called it. I think this is going to be an annual event that's only going to grow. My my goal is always to make these big events um, big enough where um, we can do a lot, but small enough where we can still be personal and, and actually have that one-on-one time with these handlers. So the magic number for me that I kind of realized is anywhere between 50 and 100 anything more than that, it, you kind of lose that personal right. touch. So I'm hoping that every year we can get that 50 to a hundred guys have my team of trainers and handlers to come assist. And we just go kick butt and help these guys out.
1: Absolutely, dude. No, that's awesome, brother. <sighs> All right, dude, we we're uh hour and seven. So we'll probably uh, oh, shut her down. I need to go take my little dinosaur out and do uh, another training session and get some exercise in brother. But, uh, Thank you so much for coming on and, uh, taking the time to, to do it. I really, really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you. Uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about some deep stuff and a little bit of canine stuff. And hopefully when we do this again, um, I have an update on some of the canine stuff and man, I really like when you come to, to Dallas to be able to do the podcast. And, um, I think we talked about it. All the guys have such interesting stories. I think you're going to want to talk to them oh. and, uh, especially the guys in the military and the things that they recognize are so different on the canine side that they had to kind of accept in the police side. It's those are stories better told by those guys than than anybody else.
1: Absolutely. And um, I, you know, kind of just I've been contemplating finding somebody who occasionally could sit in and be a co uh, interviewer. On, yes. on my podcast, man. And, and I really like the way that you, you know, hold yourself, and carry yourself and talk and sound. So maybe we can plan that where me and you are the hosts for a couple episodes here and there. And we get some of these guys on or, or, or other people and kind of yeah. do a dual, dual prong approach.
2: Thank you, man. Uh, thank you for saying that. I would love to do that. There's so many, there's so many good people out there, bro. And, uh, we don't have to always look for the big names. Sometimes exactly. Big, oh, don't, don't always drive with what, your mission and your goals are. I think that's why you and I connect so much because it's it's not about the money. It's not about the fame. It's getting good information out there, uh, touching people's lives in a good way and everything else works itself out magically. It always does. So if you do things the right way, it always works out. (laughs) I'm a firm believer that, you know, I'm a Christian man. I think God has a lot to do with that, but I don't do it for those rewards. Right? Like I, I do it for these conversations and the relationships you build on throughout the, throughout the way. Right?
1: Absolutely, dude. I couldn't agree more all right brother all right my man take care stay safe and we'll talk soon
2: all right brother you be good we'll talk soon all right man see you
0: thank you for tuning in to the dogs of war